The Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download their top-rated sportsbook app and use promo code RTRS. And brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process, processrealtor.com, and Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, it's November 1st, and it does not seem as if uh, it was a practical joke in that Daryl Morey, according to Shams, is signing officially today and will be announced officially tomorrow on Monday. Unbelievable. In town, meeting with Doc Rivers. Uh, Elton Brand signed a contract extension. Sam Hinkie does a 100-minute-long podcast with Pablo Torre, says a lot of things, and also notably doesn't say other things. And uh, back to a hopeful Daryl Morey-filled mailbag. It feels as if order has been restored into our little community. It is, it is a nice feeling. The first nice feeling we've had in so many, so many years. Uh, without any further ado, Amos and the Chef. Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who voted with two masks and a face shield like he's an outbreak. I'm sp- uh, Mike Levin. I was going to say my name. I did. I did do that. Yeah. Um, Both two masks was, and the shield? Two masks and the, sh- and the shield. And uh, we were going to wear gloves. I thought gloves was a little excessive. I didn't wear gloves, but I did use one of those. Uh, Almost like a finger condom where you just put it on like one finger. And a so finger cut? You're a finger cut. If for yeah. For yeah, for um Howard Stern fans, uh years ago, uh Jackie Martling had like some disease on his fingers, so would have uh finger cuts on at work. So Yeah. But they but it was very safe. There was no line. It was easy as hell. Uh felt great. All good stuff. Recommend it. Go vote in person be do it safely or drop your uh ballot off at a ballot drop off place do not put it in the mail it is too late for that i would like to tell everyone that uh, they can feel safe though mike did wear two masks finger cuts and a shield why not sure if you have access to it but it is plenty safe wear a mask keep your distance and if you happen to touch something which which you will to vote just wash your hands before you touch your face and you'll be okay without the finger cuts Uh, all of it yeah but if you want to wear three masks and try to one-up me i would respect (laughs) i would love to see a picture of that if (laughs) if somebody one-ups okay so mike mike voted two masks face shield and uh finger cuts if if you one-up him I would love to see a picture of you one-upping Mike. Please. Voting safely. I would love yeah. it. So here we are. Uh, I, I guess we'll go to, we'll do Maury first and then 
hinky because the Maury thing is now official. According to Shams, Maury Science Today is in town. There was a picture that John Clark posted yesterday of he and Doc Rivers sharing a meal, uh, both with their laptops, going over yep. going over thoughts of the... Uh, no, no need for secret flight plans or Malvern prep no. uh, recruiting trips. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that'll come after, obviously, the Malvern prep mm-hmm. stuff. So, uh, and uh, Elton Brand... Uh, signed an extension. It was uh, my understanding earlier in the week that after we had done the podcast, um, asking whether he was uh, blindsided by this, it was was my understanding that he was not. So I, I don't know how far back this Maury thing goes. My guess is it goes back a, a little ways, but um, I don't know how far. Maybe it. You know, they they said. I, th- I don't know if it was uh, Woj or Sham said that they started talking shortly after. He left the Rockets, and it, who knows? It may have even happened before that. So, yeah. So here we are, man. What, uh, any? What is your? Okay. What is your like? Feeling? I feel like the the last pod was a little bit of sort of like gut reactionary. Mm-hmm. How now that you've had time to sit with it, how are you feeling? So I was thinking about it. My my wife and I went away for the weekend. We went to the Poconos. It was very nice to get away. Um, we came back to a really cold house, but uh, but it was nice to get away. And I did spend some time just like trying to think about this, like trying to have a more, uh, a deeper thought than, oh my God, I can't believe they got more, which is really, I, you know, a lot of the things that have happened over the last seven years will look ridiculous in, in context. They, I can't believe that that happened. But them ending up with Maury is truly an I can't believe that that happened moment. I think what I, what I came to was... Everyone sort of expects that he will like Sixers Adam wrote a piece on our on our on ricerickysanchez.com that and I to be honest I told him I said hey go you know line up a couple of Mori type deals and tell me what you think of them and he did one for Chris Paul and one for um what's his face Oladipo and everyone sort of expects that this team is like right on the precipice of a championship and that he will try to organize a way for them to become championship contenders this year. But what I sort of thought was, and this is less about him surveying the, um, the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid thing, and more about the specific situation that they're in that will take some undoing to get out of, I think, uh, and to put a real... I think it is less likely that we will see... A, a trade for Chris Paul to me seems completely impossible. That that they would lock themselves down even further with more money to another guy like that. I I my guess would be is that he spends a year trying to I don't know like reset everything and and put a good team on the floor and see what they are. But that it is less likely to me that he goes all in to try to win a championship this year. That was my my prevailing thought after thinking about it for a while. How about you? Um, I think a lot of things. Uh, as far as bigger picture, this feels to me, sitting with it, like the third act of the long view process. Mm-hmm. Like the first act was what we all understand the process to be, the hinky years. And then there was a long second act of confusion and sort of whittling away at uh, all the goodwill and 
specifically players that they had and assets that they had uh, accrued in that first act. And it all went to shit in so many different magnificent ways. That we might not even um, get a third act. Right. Yeah. And then, but here we are. Yeah, and right. we, we, we bring in this guy. And, and obviously, they're not the same person, him and Sam. Um, but it definitely feels like a return to that kind of thing. And so over the next five years with, with Daryl and Doc, we will be you know seeing the, like, will this Embiid and Simmons thing work? And, and I'm really invested in, in that. I think I was reading uh, a Bodner article in The Athletic and just talking about, like, the process will generally exist as long as Ben and more, more specifically Joel are here. Um, and I, I really do want it to work with both of these guys. Like, I, I think, um, you know, I saw that picture of, of Doc and Daryl looking at just like sitting together and being like, these are the, you know, these are the guys now for us. And it feels a little bit, uh, Daryl feels more like one of us because he's been on the podcast and he's, and he's talked about Sam and stuff. Um, Doc feels like, wow, we have this guy who was, you know, the one of the premier coaches in the league, at least publicly in the last 15 years with, with Boston and, and the Clippers. Um, and it feels a little fake still, like uh, a little fantasy football where you're not, they don't feel like us yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they just got here, um, you know? Right. What, and so yeah. it'll take time to do that. But I, I really do, as far as like the ship of Theseus goes, like I really do, it'll feel so much better if it is Ben and Joel and the right pieces around them uh, winning a championship here. And I, I know that that is, you know, nitpicky or, or maybe like being precious about stuff. But I, I really like, as far as gratification goes for this long, uh, trying, I was going to say a few years, but lifetime of Philadelphia. Nearly a decade. Uh, I mean, for well, this, this alone. For us, yes, yeah. nearly a decade. For me, for me, being a public Sixers boy uh, over a decade now, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, the Sixers have been to the conference finals once in my life. One time. And it's been a lot of waiting um, for them to get good and real and stuff. And maybe the answer is, like, just, just be happy with whoever. It doesn't matter if you, you know, frigging get... You trade Embiid for like Bradley Beal and trade Simmons for like I don't know Rudy Gobert whatever not those guys specifically right, but right, like right. fill in random fill in the jersey as long as they're in a Sixers jersey I'll be happy but I, I we we've waited this long and put so, so much uh, you know heartbreak and aggravation and and just time into them that I wanted to I kind of wanted to work on my terms and under the terms that would make me feel the most satisfied and gratified and um, believing that it was worth the time and that I'm like a part of it is if it's with Ben and Joel. And so Daryl, I think, has that, you know, feels like one of us quality. I'm sure Doc will in time as well. Um, but that that's what that's kind of what I was thinking about over the last few days of being like, I, I said on the podcast last time that I, that I don't think this offseason – there's really much of a chance that either Ben or Joel gets traded. And I think that when we talk about the Sam interview, um, he made the point of like, think about how much it took to get them. Um, why would you just, you know, don't, don't rush to trade either of them just because, you know, the last regime has, has 
you know, clearly fucked up the pieces around them multiple times. As if Sam has ever rushed to make any th- decision in his entire life. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I, I just think, I think that, and maybe, and maybe that means I'm not like a, a an unbiased arbiter of truth. I don't know anyone's ever called me that. But uh, as far as the Sixers go, like I, I really wanted to work with Ben and Joel. That would make me feel the best is if, it, <laughs> if that happened. So I'm asking Daryl to make it work with Ben and Joel. Unbiased arbiter of truth sounds like the Black Friday t-shirt, honestly, <laughs> because that's what everyone has referred to us as. Well, I, I, I agree in, in large part, but that was the same thing. Like it, it is what ha- we have been dealing with this entire time over the last three or four years is as pieces go in and out, like for the sake of winning a championship, it it has felt less and less a connection. Now, like I I do think that Maury, even though he is not, I was going to bring up ship of Theseus anyway, Maury is not part of the original ship, but he is a replacement part that really looks just mm-hmm. like the original ship, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's not a new piece on the ship. It is maybe a new piece that is looks worn, worn on purpose or something. So yeah. he, it feels a little bit or a lot of bit like a return to that. But this, this is it is part of the thing that has that I wrestled with when they traded, you know. Covington, Dario, when TJ left, or even the idea of LeBron coming here and winning mm-hmm. a championship. And everyone was like, well, and I know you would have supported LeBron, and that's different than what you're talking about. But it. My, my former coworker, LeBron. Right, right. But there, there is a, a, a point at which it would be worth it more if you had, if you win it with the people who have been here. And it is mm-hmm. sort of like, almost running a marathon and you know there are stories you know there have been people that have cheated on marathon times by like taking a a bus or something going off the course and coming back and you get this final marathon time but if you didn't run it and you don't hurt and you don't feel it did you actually win it and i think there is something to be said for that uh i would agree with you i i feel almost nothing with most of the players there. It is really only Embiid, and to a lesser extent, but also to Simmons, who are here. Um, and I said on the last podcast that, you know, Maury coming here may have saved the podcast for me. I don't mean that in a fake way. You know, I, I was looking at this season coming up and having almost no desire to watch the 76ers, almost none, to watch them in December. But this has rejuvenated what I think the next five years can be, even if it doesn't have a championship. But yes, I would like them to try to do it with the players here. The question will be, with Ben and Joel, the question will be, have they cornered themselves into a place where that becomes impossible? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. They got the right guy to try to figure it out. Yeah. There's been talk of the, you know, along the same vein, there's been whispers of, because of because of it's because it's Daryl and because Houston seems to be going through like a you know Tillman Fertitta led you know I don't know ch- cheapness or a, some some level of like conserving money and or whatever whatever it is not wanting to not wanting to pay uh, they never really uh, dipped into the luxury tax or anything but there's been talk of of James Harden as like a, a natural sort of evolution of a trade trade piece. Um, 
You're not a Harden guy, right? I, I, I do like Harden, actually, a lot. You do? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I want to give credit before we get into this. Uh, Lyle emailed us and said, let me get the actual email so I can give him credit. He said, I need both of you to say yes or no. No sitting on the fence. Would you trade Ben Simmons for James Harden? I think I think the answer is absolutely. You have to. Um, you have you to. You have to. Yeah. I mean, James, I think James, Harden and Harden and Bede would be just a ridiculous yeah. pairing. Um, and James Harden is one of the yeah. few best offensive players ever in the history of the sport. Yeah. You know. And it'd be interesting. I think there was a there was a uh, Kevin O'Connor piece uh, a while ago about how Harden used to be in Oklahoma City. Like he used to fly around screens and used to use, like off ball cutting and stuff because he wasn't the guy and now he just stands there and he's still that good without standing there and so like there's it's a weird it, as far as like a pleasant watch I would love to see a little bit more juice to his game if, if, if we were to have him but like he's I mean he's James Harden man he's so good um, I would I'd be interested to see what him and him and Embiid would look like and other guys but I yeah I don't think it's going to happen I don't think that Houston is you know dying to trade one of the best offensive players ever right now. No. But my guess would be they're they're a little more eager to trade Russell Westbrook than they are James Harden. Yeah, but Harden wants Westbrook there. Right. And I also don't think like Harden is dying to go play for his GM again. Like that doesn't seem like <laughs> right. a real relationship that is everyone anyone right. gives much of a shit about. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Philadelphia so I can see the GM once a week. <laughs> like what is that even about? Right. Yeah. Uh, but but I do think he would depending on what they do in Houston the desire for James Harden to stick around while they dismantle whatever chance they had also may be slim. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. In a, uh, in, in a world where you know, we talked about the Chris Paul trade, the Oladipo trade, I don't think Chris, a Chris Paul trade is impossible. Um, we know that John Moore loves Chris Paul. And I was thinking about a bigger picture. Oladipo is a different story, and we can get into that. But like, I was thinking about Daryl as the executive version of LeBron and not not in the way that he plays or anything but in the in the way that like when LeBron comes to your team you're gonna have a good chance of doing a bunch of special stuff mm-hmm. and by the time it's over the cupboard is going to be empty and I think that Daryl is a little bit the same way in that like he sees a window to win now and he's trading draft picks he's trading young guy whatever it takes to get like the guys that he needs to maximize your chances at winning a championship like in the window that it's possible um which i would guess with ben and Embiid is in like the next like four or five years um yeah be careful what you say with now though he might not see the window to be winning in 2021 yeah Yeah. that's true um but i i mean i'm such a draft guy and daryl is you know not not a guy who makes picks like he's the guy who trades picks to get like the elite talent now i don't know because uh, because they already have the two type stars in place where they were still kind of like searching for that that second one around Harden in Houston for a couple years. Maybe that's not the case here, but um, I'm not saying he's going to do the same exact thing, but I do I do wonder like, you know, if there's a if there's a trade to be had and Daryl trades like all of the, all the young guys, a bunch of picks for the next like four seat, four you know every other year for the f- next like five six years. Um, it's gonna be weird for me because I'm a I'm such a big draft guy. But H- Dow's done a good enough job of getting undrafted free agent talent over the years, where he doesn't th- he thinks the draft, judging by the moves, is a little bit overrated. I think we talked to, to him about it a little bit when he was on the podcast a few months ago. Um, 
And so I wonder if that he, he would be more likely to use those types of sweeteners um, over and over again in a way that might, you know, as a arbiter of truth, um, rock solid arbiter of truth, uh, upset me a little bit. But I'll, I'm, I, he's a guy that I trust and I will, I guess, Trust him in that. We'll one. have to see. Uh, another guy you should trust is Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of the process. That's Let's right. Go. Come on, did you see that right there? Um, before we get into the uh, the Hinky interview and a couple of more, more things, I wanted to get into uh, Adam Kasabi, K S E B E. Everyone wonders how do you spell Kasabi? K S E B E. I spell it. Great realtor. That's how I spell it. That's not how you spell mm. anything. <laughs> Processrealtor.com. So Kasabi specializes in homes at the Delaware Beach. And I just mentioned that I spent a, a few days up in the Poconos. Let me tell you, spending some time away from the hustle and bustle of regular life is tremendous. It just, That's the dream. It, it's great. It's absolutely great. So a house, one of the Delaware beaches, especially you know, a place like uh, Lewis or Bethany that is away from a lot of hustle and bustle. And even in uh, Rehoboth, there are plenty of areas there that are not, you know, you, you don't have to be right by the boardwalk. Low uh, low property taxes, almost nothing. You're talking about like $1,000 a year. A great time to buy because interest rates are super low and you have the realtor to do it. That is Adam Kasabi. As well, he can't sell you a house in PA or New Jersey. He can't refinance your house, but he can be your window to those things. So if you're looking to buy a house in PA or New Jersey, you need to find the right realtor, the, the right places. If you need to refinance your home like I needed to do, I went to Kasabi, pointed me to his refinance guy. Kasabi is a guy. Processrealtor.com. Several of Ricky, several of our listeners have done both those things, have purchased homes in the Delaware beaches, but also have gone to him for those other things. Call or text him 302-864-8643, 302-864-8643, or adam at processrealtor.com. So before we get to the hinky thing, uh, I asked Mike O'Connor to go back through our interview with Daryl Morey in July, the end of July, and find some quotes that he could relate back to um, back to the current Sixers situation. So actually, there's one there. I just wanted to go through a couple of those. There's one there that re- relates right to what you were talking about. So he was talking about Hinky and how a team operates differently when they're trying to contend. The whole reason you build up all the capital, and Sam did the best job I've ever seen, I think, building it up, is at the time you have a chance to win it, you go forward. And if there was a prominent player who could have been traded for even on a one-year rental a year ago, I could see Hinky just piling all into that. Um, you have to be on a success cycle, which is when you're down, you've got to build your store in the armory as much as possible. And then when you're up, you've got to use it all to eke small advantages to increase your chance to win. And you're going to go through these cycles, but that's fine. That's natural. The question will be where he sees them in the cycle right now, right? Whether it is to build the store back up or whether it is to um, use it all and eke out small advantages to increase their chance to win. I'd be curious to see where he thinks they are right this second. Yeah, I mean, in the Hinky Hinky thing, he kind of tempered that a little bit Mm -hmm. and said he doesn't think that they're right there. I would, you know, I don't think that they're straight up one move away mm-hmm. in a like very easy way to do. I think like, you know, who would have thought that Miami was this close mm-hmm. last year or who would have thought that Denver was as close would have come as close as they did. Like I th- I think it's I think 
there's a very conservative way to look at things prior to a season and being like, well, only the people that are there are the ones who are going to get there. And then the season happens and it's like, oh, I guess they're now this team. And like, you know, Kawhi wasn't seen as that guy to do it until he did it. And so I do think that there's a, you know, the tiers of of teams that are capable of doing it right now are probably like Lakers, Lakers, uh, Clippers, Bucks, I guess you could say the Heat again, and then that's and maybe you'd say Brooklyn if you believe it. I think it'll probably take a little bit longer, but like, and then there's like eight teams that are in that mix mm-hmm. of you know you say Denver, Boston, Toronto, whoever whoever you believe in. But I think the Sixers are in that like not first tier, not like right there, but I think second tier of like if things work out, they certainly have the talent to to get there. I think they're you know they're a team that has won. Prior to this season, I don't know how it would have worked out, but basically about 50-plus wins for three seasons in a row. Um, and so, you know, making that jump from 50 to, like, 58 is hard. Yeah. But if they get if they get there, if they make the right moves and, and Doc's the right guy to, to lead them there, then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, of course the Sixers are in the mix of, of like, possibilities. I don't think it's... I think it's a, there's a, a way to look at it. So I, I would say, you know, you look at the roster, you look at Tobias and his deal... Um, our boy, Yaron Weitzman, and our other boy, Zach Lowe, talked about it on Zach's podcast of, like, possible Horford and Tobias trades. Um, and as far as, like, going all in, it's interesting about, like, can you get value for it? You know, if you're going to trade either of them, are you going to get actual, are you getting off of those contracts or are you making your team better? Um, and I think a lot of times you wouldn't be making this team the team better. You know what I mean? Unless, to my original point, that he is like, the first thing we got to do is get off of these contracts. So I have yeah, more room. I don't know if that's true. I, it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It depends on how you look. It literally depends on how you look at 2021. It, it, like, if you look at, so if Dow comes in and says, this seems not good enough, straight up, uh, we got to get off of this Tobias Harris contract. Would you trade Tobias Harris for like expiring Knicks deals like Julius Randle and Taj Gibson and whoever the fuck? Um, and just sort of, you know, I don't want to say tank this season, but like that, that would, that would give you probably a lesser chance of winning this season. Um, and immediately get off on a slightly maybe bad foot with Ben and Joel. Um, and maybe Doc. Although you got to think that he'd probably be a part of those conversations, at least. They're sitting at the table together. They imagine those are conversations being happening. I, I hate to be in this place again, but I would do whatever he thinks is right. I mean, I, I, my personal thought is that I think Tobias Harris is a good player, but I do not think he is irreplaceable in any way. And I, I, I don't know how many wins it's costing you, and I certainly don't think it's costing you a championship. So, like, maybe it costs you three wins in a regular season, two? I, I don't know what not having Tobias Harris costs you. So if, if he really feels, and I would, yeah, I've actually heard him say it before, what percentage chance he thought each Houston team had of winning the championship, you know, going mm-hmm. into the playoffs? He has a percentage chance. Well, what's the chance? And he had said that if the team has even 5% chance, you go all in. I'd be curious to think, because the odds, the, the, the DraftKings odds right now, suggest that the Sixers do not have a 5% chance. They suggest that the Sixers have a 3% chance, which is less than 5, right? So I'd be curious as to what he thinks, but if he goes into it and is like, I'm looking at the, the landscape of the NBA, and 
I just don't think this is possible with this group. I need more flexibility. And yeah. we got to spend a year just seeing Ben and Joel play, and we got to get off of these deals, and I would be all for it. I Maybe. I, I would say that they're, that, you know, Ben and Joel have now suffered through a couple, like, clunky seasons, and Joel, more than anybody else, knows how, maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't want to think of it like this, but, like, for lack of a better word, fragile this all is. It could come, it could fall apart fast. One injury, one, you know, the window closes, you know, Bynum arthritis, whatever the fuck. Um, I don't know that I would, maybe, I I don't know that I would uh, risk trading a, like, team leader in Tobias and a good player in Tobias for worse players that would, that could potentially alienate your stars of being like, what are we doing here? What's going on? I agree. Who cares about the money? I, whatever it is. I agree with the notion, but I would say to you in that respect, okay, team leader Tobias, great. They, I, record or not, they failed fucking miserably this year and nobody liked mm-hmm. each other and nobody was together and like they just weren't. You, you can show me, I, I, I could see as many like pictures of them laughing at practice with a tweet that says, imagine not thinking these guys don't like each other. They were a disaster. You know, they, they were uh, mentally and on the court a disaster. So Tobias is a good locker room guy and a good person and a good player and all of those things. But if he is the, you know, the bomb that is holding this, whatever the fuck last year was together, I, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm just not. Yeah, I hear you. And maybe, maybe I just think I, I can't see as much as they do, like, s- this many moves ahead to be like, okay, if we get out from under Tobias, these expiring contracts, whatever, not still have a chance to be a 50-plus win team next year uh, on the 82-game scale. By the way, I think um, it would have to be Tobias and Hortford. I, because if you don't, you're still, you're still at the cap with three guys, pretty much. I mean, you're, you're, even if you just get rid of Tobias... You're you're already over. You're still over the, the cap the next year because of Embiid, Horford, and Simmons. So it would have to be both of them. Yeah, I mean, to create real flexibility, I think. I yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. I it's it's not a in my mind. Uh, this team has done the keep going, keep keep moving, trading, and it hasn't like. There, there's something to be said for having a, an element of consistency. And there was no consistency to the season last year. There was no uh, pick-and-roll ball handler last year. Um, by the way, there was no, by the no, way, no, a report. Uh, I just got a text from Sixers Adam. I'm just... I'm looking. I was about to break it also. Okay. Let, me fin- let me finish. Okay, right all right. Um, I, I think that it, it does not take sometimes shifting tectonic plates on a team for things to look way cleaner. And that's, I know I've been pushing the trade Josh Richardson for a pick and roll ball handler for a long time and someone that can create a little bit. But I, I do think that like a couple moves on the fringes, a couple smart draft picks, improvement from the guys that need to be improved, like, you know, not playing all of Ben Joel, Tobias, and Horford together for any length of time. Um, I do think that opens things up and makes things cleaner and stuff. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any inf- information about how Joel or Ben feels about that kind of thing, but I would I would just be reluctant to say like let's let's get worse next year because maybe we can get uh, better players down the road, and especially if it's like you know worrying about the salary cap or paying the luxury tax like but it, these guys are paying 
they just you know gave more money to Elton Brand. They gave a ton of money to Darren Moore. Like they have, they're fine. Pay the luxury tax. Who gives a shit? I, I know, but what I would say is like is just worse than what? Worse than you perceive them to be or worse than they actually were because they were on pace to win 49 games or something. And I think they could do that without Tobias Harris. And we can't on one say, on one hand, say that that Maury is good at finding these extra pieces to make everything go and then say it will be impossible for him to do that if he doesn't, if he trades Tobias Harris. Like I, I just, I, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not campaigning for it. I, I just... I don't think it would cost you as many wins or, or you know, outlook on this season as you are are saying. And remember, maybe. And there was a report that Tobias that the Mavs had interest in Tobias, which is interesting. I would certainly kick the tires on that. There's a bunch of guys on the Mavericks that I would like to have on the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in my in my mind, because of the shortened shortened off season, because of the shortened season, because Embiid's health, especially in like an accelerated season is he's going to miss games. I want to have, I don't mind having Horford there to play, you know, decently major minutes in these, in those times. And then once after this, after next year, then all of a sudden his contract is much more palatable because it's expiring in a year and you don't have to attach so much, you know, Matisse or shake or so many picks to get off from under him because it's like, Oh, it's only one year, whatever. Whereas now it's still seen as like, that's a lot for that guy for three years. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think there's a couple of other factors at work with Horford. One of them is what he's like as a 16 to 18 minute, a guy backup just mentally and also $30 million. And I, I do think that there is something to, getting him out of here I, and, and again I'm maybe not I don't I don't think but that's the vibe I've always gotten is that he's got to get they got to move on from Horford you know that sure it'd be great to have him as this backup that only plays a lot when Embiid isn't in there but I don't know I don't know I have no idea yeah I mean, all right break the Sixers Adam news he, okay. he tweeted it. it's so weird to see a team source tells RTRS podcast yeah not be a joke well I got I got the 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 text from Adam asking me you know sort of like vetting our sources on on this one so uh former Sixers executive vice president of basketball operations Alex Rucker is quote out a team source tells RTRS podcast as Daryl Morey enters one of the more pivotal front office names of the last few years exits. <laughs> Such a normal guy tweet from Adam. Yeah. Well, there he goes. Sixers Adam breaking the news uh, that now remember Alex Rucker was with Brian Colangelo in Toronto. He hired Alex here when Brian Colangelo was eliminated and Elton Brand was uh, was raised, Alex Rucker was also promoted. I forget what his title was. And it was pretty much seen as though he had as much personnel say as Elton had while they were here, in, in addition to the owners and, and things like that. So, um, so Alex Rucker gone, Ned Cohen... Keith Pompey reported will stay, but I, I don't think Ned Cohen ever had anything to do with basketball operations anyway. So Ned Cohen's been being tied to his chair for friggin' three years Poor Ned. at the new practice facility, getting blamed for shit. <laughs> Nobody knows what he does. Nobody knows what he looks like. He just, his, wife's, his wife's profile is private. Like, give the guy a break. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> he just, he hate listens to this podcast being like, <laughs> I had no say. 
No say. <laughs> no say. They don't collaborate with me. They say they're collaborating. They don't ask me. He, he's actually the patch guy. He's got O'Neill's <laughs> taking credit for his patch stitch. All right. So uh, we were given very slight advance warning on this, but Sam Hinkie appeared on the ESPN Daily podcast with one Pablo Torre, who, you know, holds a lot of history in both Ricky and process lore. Of course, he wrote the article that quoted Tony Roten, which mentioned in trusting the process, which then, you know, became this whole thing. Pablo Torre, of course, a friend of the pod, you would say that married a couple at the lottery party a few years back. Actually yeah, held the held the trust the process shirt up on around the horn. Held the pro- trust the process shirt up on around the horn. That was then worn during the draft. Right. So you would say that you know Hink and I, you know I'm of the the mind based on the conversation that that Hinky and Pablo have had numerous conversations. Like they they obviously talk quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Pablo with a very large platform, obviously. You know, not surprising at all that Hinky would go to Pablo <laughs> to do his tell-all when Daryl Morey gets hired to be, which did seem like the impetus for this. Daryl Morey being hired as president of the basketball operations for the Sixers made Hinky go on Pablo Torre's podcast. And yeah, he's gassing up his friend. Yeah, and actually talking about everything. All of the things that, you know, you would think you can't talk about. He, he certainly asked him. Pablo certainly asked him. I guess my question to you, Mike, is... In 140 minutes of podcasting, or 100 minutes of podcasting, an hour 40 minutes of podcasting, is it surprising to you that just to get it out of the way, to avoid a conversation like this, that neither Pablo nor Sam, with multiple opportunities, said the name of this podcast on in that interview? No. It's not surprising to you at all? No. You're trying to act too cool for the room right now. It's not surprising to you? <laughs> no, it's not. I would, I would have been surprised if they had said the name of this stupid podcast. Yeah. Why? Because it's not like no. Sam was the GM of the team. He wasn't the GM of the podcast. He, uh, look, you can't talk to this guy for 100 minutes. And I, I, I don't care if anybody's mad at me for this. You can't talk to this guy for 100 minutes, talk about the reaction in town, the reaction from national media, the cult-like following that followed him, which we are responsible, at least in large part for. Not only responsible, but in large part responsible. And not Pablo, who has been, you know, has, has dipped his water in banning before. Uh, honestly, you, how do you not just say it at the very end? I just... I. I'm very disappointed. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm disappointed. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it's, the interview. It's, that's very on brand for you. Uh, so I'm not surprised that I'm I'm way I'm equally surprised that they didn't say it and that you're upset that they didn't say it. Those are the uh, the equal footing of lack of surprise. You are the one that wanted the giant say the name banner at like you wanted a a 25 foot long say the name banner at the lottery party. You get mad at no name saying. You do. Don't act like you're better than me. Oh, on this. that well no, that's the thing. I get mad when they show clips of a lottery party and say Sixers fans gathered. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anytime anyone mentions the Sixers that they have to like pay homage to us or anything. Well, okay. Although although our boy Aaron Weitzman did say the name on Zach Lowe's podcast. Right. So there you go. And and if the, the last question and then we'll get into the actual interview. If Jerome had written that book and we had not been mentioned in that book, 
would we have even mentioned that book on the podcast? <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. Uh, There's good stuff on there. He did the right thing. We're part of the story. He should have asked him. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, if if if, pa- if Pablo was doing a, you know, hey, let's walk me through every step of it. Right. Uh, then I think that, you know, him at least getting his, uh, his banner raised to the rafters would have been... A question to ask, right? Okay. Oh, we know how Sam feels. Well, maybe maybe they cut some out. Maybe a, Pablo is saving it for some. <laughs> sure, yeah, saving it, <laughs> saving it for your birthday. All right, so it is amazing, uh, and as Sam Hinky is is very good at doing, and he did, you know, say that he was happy for Daryl, and Daryl would do a great job, and Daryl was the right guy, so on and so forth. He does do. Sam does do an excellent job of answering questions thoughtfully and not actually answering the question. Or he always has. Yes, he's expert at. It. He's amazing at it. And he will he will put certain words in there that do sort of give him an out of the responsibility for the answer that you th- thought that he gave. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the one where he said because Pablo asked about the idea of specifically treating Embiid. That's what he asked him. And then Hinky goes something to the effect of, well, you should remember how hard it was to get any of them. He doesn't, he, he talks about all of the players. He doesn't even specifically answer the question about Embiid, and he doesn't even say yes or no, which I think is amazing. You better think real hard about that, is all he says. Um, I, think, I, think, I think that's who he is. Yeah. I think he is a absolutely singular weirdo. Um, I love him. I think he's great. I would, if we were actually good friends, I would roast him constantly for his ridiculous brain working overtime on the dumbest shit. Um, but I respect that. I think it's. I think he's a, certainly a delightful listener. I thought Pablo did a great job of like uh, not holding him to account or anything, but really uh, asking him answer. some tough. Yeah. Some, yeah, made him answer some tough questions. I don't think that Sam does it. You know, Brian Colangelo. I remember Brian was on uh, Derek's podcast a while ago. I think this was. Mm-hmm. Paywall, Paywall Godner era. Um, and I think Derek asked three questions. And Brian just spent yep. 20 minutes talking about really whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, just like filibustering. Sam doesn't, Sam doesn't, you're right, filibustering. Sam doesn't do that. Sam answers your question in the thoughtful way without really coming down on it because I think that's just how his brain works. Right. I think he's just, I think he just likes to think at every angle of the question and he's not. You know, he's already done the work of thinking about it and him being like, were you surprised at this or that? He's like, no, I can see it. Like, I, I know, I get why they fired me. I understand it. Like, he's not, he's not going to get, I think there's, he's done a good job of, maybe he's not this way in the moment, but when he comes back and thinks about things, I think he does think about things from so many different angles that he takes the emotion out of it, at least on his end, and can see where people are coming from. Yeah, and uh, and and by the way, like, I've, I've said before that I, I don't think he... He is angry at Josh Harris or David Blitzer or any of those things, but it is hard to talk about the emotion. His farewell letter is both very good and very well written and so pissy at the same time. Even if he sure. would, he would never admit it, it was pissy. I would I would just ask him. So, how much pissiness did you put into the line? Uh, Scott O'Neill can ably separate. <laughs> The people of Delaware Valley from their wallets, from their wallets. On, on your behalf. Like how much did you when you when you did that was like some pee leaking out of your <laughs> you know just a little bit because you just like had to put it in there. You, did you kind of like do a little shimmy as you wrote that? Because I would have. 
So here are the things, and you alluded to this earlier, here are the things that I felt like he did actually answer. One of them was he actually gave the, the, the true answer, but the other ones were sort of, you had to be listening for it a little bit. You mentioned earlier how close the Sixers may, we talked about it extensively, how close the Sixers may or may not be. Hinky said, I think at three different moments, that if Maury is given enough time to yada, 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 or if he is, it did not seem like, given his answers, that he thought this particular Sixers team was that close to a championship, that there was a, a lot of work to do. Not that it was Im- impossible, but that it would take time for Maury to do it. Did you get that same sense from his Yeah, answer? I think he said it almost word for word. Okay. It's like, I don't think this is... A, a team that's going to win a championship next year or like on the cusp or it's an easy right. like right knocking whatever um and i actually i i think that like i said before i think that it is a couple there's there's ways to put yourself in that situation so that you're like you know the way sam thinks about it are they a three percent chance right now maybe could you get them to an eight percent like with more ball handlers and uh buy-in from these guys and uh well willingness of band to shoot whatever like any number of things could that like inch yourself up and then all of a sudden like things look good and whatever i i i i think so but um i think sam looks at things from a you know very clinical way and uh odds are they're not going to win a championship next year i think you wouldn't you wouldn't lose much money by betting that um but i i, I do think that they there's a chance that they can get there in such a weird season uh, another thing, he asked him specifically about Simmons and the fit of the two, and then asked about Ben Simmons. He he, he sort of gave innocuous answers about the fit of the two, but mm-hmm. but when because Papal- he said he doesn't really, he's like, look, I don't really, I'm not paid to watch them. Right. Like I'll, I watch some, I don't watch all. I watch fourth quarters and all that stuff. He, he and as and, and this has always been the case, like I've been saying for years. Don't watch all the games. Yes. Or only watch the wins. And look at how successful win. Sam Hinkie is not watching all the games. Oh, so good at it. So It so seems so happy. By the way, the one thing, I don't share very many things at all, I would say, in life with Sam Hinkie. But at the end, he mentioned that he will not tell his wife what he is ordering <laughs> at a restaurant because he, he doesn't want her decision based on his. And so I... Good. 100% agree. It infuriates my wife every time, but I will not tell her. One That's more. insane. Yeah. You guys are both out of your minds. And really, just like, I, lo- I, would, I would absolutely just listen to a podcast of Sam Hickey's wife being like, this fucking guy, <laughs> I just, oh, he makes it so hard for me to just like being around him. Like, I just I really, want to know what he's getting. I just want to know what he's getting. I don't mind a hedge. Yeah. I like a hedge. Give me more <laughs> options to eat. It, it, it widens your chance of... Getting, having good bites of things. He did ask him about, uh, so he talked about Ben Simmons shooting threes, and Hinky responded saying, basically saying he needs to get to the line more. He needs to basically throw himself at defenders. He brought up Jimmy Butler to get at the line more. He needs to finish with both hands. He needs to athletically finish over defenders with both hands. Um, It sounded like, it was one of the answers he had sound like he is already thought about um, mm-hmm. and and we've mentioned it a million times it always comes in concert with the shooting thing is the getting to the line thing which is yeah. 
for sure. And we, I think we talked about it on the last podcast. That's what LeBron did. LeBron was so big and strong and fast and could dribble that in the early part of his career, he did that constantly. And it's mm-hmm. something that Ben needs to do, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tobias obviously less, less athletic, but I think about the same stuff with him. Like, you need to be able to get to the line regularly and get easy looks at it. And he, Sam told a story about like Chuck Hayes, mm-hmm. about how he's shooting like 50% from the line, and that's not great, but that's still like one point per possession. Like, for the most part, you take that. Well, and um, it, it gets a foul on the other team. Yeah. You know, which is, which puts you in a, a more advantageous position in terms of the quarter, All getting to the line, and fouling mm-hmm. that person out. And I, I think the other, the other thing, he talks to Embiid regularly, which I, doesn't surprise Love any, it. any of us. So sweet. Yes. The other thing that he said, him coming back to the Sixers was always fan fiction. That was never going to happen. Yeah. He did, and he said 0% chance, which I totally unsurprising. Him coming back to the NBA, he said 0% chance. Yeah. Which is... Not surprising to me that he wouldn't ever come back was surprising to me that he said he would never come back as somebody who deals in only deals in likelihoods and percentages and understands what zero percent means. Yes, I agree. Right. Felt the same way. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's gotten this status of, you know, lionized by so many people in this sort of mysterious Pablo called him like J.D. Salinger type. Um, It's. That I think that, like, the expectations of what he would have if he came back and and just, like, was the, you know, if he was like, hey, I'm now the GM of the Magic and we're finishing, like, 42 and 40. Like, what a sad story that would be. And so I think, like, the expectations of what would be expected plus the, the, like, genuine lot of work and commitment that would have to be put in, I think he's like, look, I'm kind of... He wouldn't say this, but like, look, I'm kind of famous now. I'm famous in like a bunch of areas. I can kind of do whatever I want. Right. I can get excited about young people. I can like, you know, I can consult with the Denver Broncos or whatever. I can kind of dabble and stuff and just make money as this, you know, well, he's a venture capitalist type, now, which is venture capital. Yeah, you're into. I'm so so into it. Um, I'm surprised that Pablo didn't ask him about fixing email. <laughs> Um, it's on I list. thought that that would have been pretty high on my list of questions. And it's like, how are you going to fix email? <laughs> I wonder, like, any bugs or anything that you're going to, you know, dabble in. Uh, but no, I think that I, I'm surprised that it was zero also. But I think in his mind, the the risk reward mm-hmm. and plus he kind of gets to do whatever he wants right now is uh, is worthy enough. And he felt, I mean, I, I'm surprised he didn't give like a one percent, like a little out for himself. The the, the Michael Jordan. Uh, 99.9% retiring thing. Mm-hmm. But but then, of course, he, here's the other thing I would say, if you're looking at it from his perspective. If he says, I'm happy now, I'm 99% sure I would never come back, the headline becomes, Sam Hinkie leaves open possibility of return to NBA. If he says this and he decides to come back one day, nobody's like penalizing him for saying on public I will penalize him. What's that? Me and you have to hold him to account as arbiters of truth that we will penalize him for coming back and if he runs the Hornets or something. <laughs> we'll ban him then. Can't do it. You said no. You said zero. I, I heard it. I heard you say zero. Yeah. Before we get to relationship advice, in a, a uh, to go, it will go back to an email we got in April, believe it or not. It is a follow-up to relationship advice. 
the person I always go to for relationship advice is L. Alpavorsky of L. Alpavorsky Jewelers. Mike, did you know that we're at 202 engagement rings sold to rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners by L. Alpavorsky? It's quite a lot of people. Yes. It's a huge number of people. And theoretically, that's it's 202, but it's really 404 people. because you're getting engaged to someone. Mm-hmm. So that is, you're buying it for two people, which I think is, we should factor in. Yeah. So it's 404 people affected by engagement rings purchased from Al Al Pavorsky. He is, look, he's the original sponsor of the pod. He's been there since the beginning. He's as happy about Maury as you are, as you or I are. Look, most, he's always hitting me up for Ricky stuff so he can give listeners who buy engagement rings a little Ricky prize. I gave him a few of the, uh, the Rockets podcast T-shirts. Give him a couple of Mike Scott posters. He's he's just like he's a good dude. He's in this crazy world, right? This crazy world that we're in now. You might not feel comfortable going to see Lee in his store. You might want to do it all online. LL will do it that way. He'll FaceTime you. He'll Zoom you. Whatever you want. In the store, it's appointment only because he wants to keep everything safe, wants to clean in between people, allow for enough distance. It's just LL in the store, maybe Jeff, his security guard. That's about it. Plenty of space for you to be. 215-627-2252. Lee at LLPavorsky.com. The store's at 707 Walnut. It's been there for 32 years. He's the fucking man, uh, LL Pavorsky. Supports our charities, quoted by kids, Providence Animal Center, and really anything that we do. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Introducing the new finger condom engagement ring. <laughs> Just a one, sort of like the the, the short sleeve t-shirt with the sleeves attached to it. Is it going to be mm-hmm. the ring with the finger condom on it? That's right. That's right. That'd be great. Uh, do you have any uh, other Sam thoughts before we get to relationship advice? Um, I had a couple things. I, I did want to point out, because uh, I read the Michael Connor re-listen mm-hmm. column as well, and I thought that... Um, the question that you asked about whether Daryl would have a rather have a player's coach or a uh, big strategic coach, um, which is essentially the Mike D'Antoni versus Doc Rivers. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not like D'Antoni wasn't a player's coach. He is actually not a he's seen as a pretty easy guy. But basically what I asked him was, I said, would you rather have a 10 relationship guy and five strategy guy or a 10 strategy guy and five relationship guy. And yes, it is very much Doc Rivers versus MDA for sure. Yeah. And so Daryl picking that is interesting. And that's why it does seem a little bit more like he has the Sixers saw that this was maybe uh, a little bit, maybe they were reading the tea leaves that Daryl was going to leave. And so they started like assembling an off season essentially that he would entice them that would entice Daryl to come. And so, and remember Doc Rivers was a, a, like interviewed with Houston and immediately right. pivoted to the Sixers. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, it's important, he, he said, it's important to get the top player, more important to get the top player than to have him be in the exact perfect system. And so if you expand that out to Ben and Joel, it's more important to get the top two top players than to have them be in the exact perfect system. And so hopefully the combination of them plus Doc buying in and then some, you know, some adjusting on the margins, someone who can dribble, uh, ideally, um, would be interesting. And so, yeah, I thought that I thought that I thought that was interesting. I thought the Hanky interview was was really good. It's just cool to hear him talk and, well, and think of, think about stuff the way he does. Like he's such a fun. I would honestly, I would I would just make fun of him constantly if we were friends. But I I do 
I, I love the guy. He, I feel, I really feel like I know him, and that's obviously not true. I've, you know, had lunch with him a couple times, but like, I really feel like I just deeply know that guy. And you know, weirdly, he's been a big part of our lives. Like, whatever it is in this fucked up podcast process situation, who knows what we're talking about ever. But the, you know, I appreciate him, and it's good to hear that he's doing well, and that him and Joel still talk makes me happy. Yeah, I, he. All this happened because of him, you know, like this whole thing, this, this whole, he made, he made sports more interesting. He made, he made being a Sixers fan more interesting. All of this stuff is more interesting because of him. And it, it may not, I, I find incredible value in things being more interesting and rethinking the way that I think about things. Uh, and I think if, if you just go through sports thinking that the only way you're ever going to be happy is if your team wins a championship, you most years you're going to be fucking annoyed. It's going to feel like a and, big and, waste. And I am. And I am. I think to me it's like I think there's a lot of people that um, a lot of people in the NBA and other sports that have innovated. Right. And that have mm -hmm. that have taken things to their logical conclusion and pushed the limits and all that stuff. To me, it wasn't like. It wasn't like when they got Hinky, it was like, finally, the only guy who believes in analytics and information. It was more like, the, for so long, and I, like I said earlier, they've been to the conference finals once in my life. Even Iverson, who is beloved and a, a generational player and one of the most unique players of all time, um, and absolutely changed the culture in a bunch of ways, he went to one conference finals. And so the Sixers, for so long, just had like, no plan whatsoever since they traded Barkley just like nothing just like totally blindfold just pissing into the wind was all of their organizational ethos and finally they brought a guy in who had hey we we will do whatever it takes to get a superstar to try to win championships with and obviously it went wrong but hopefully we're back to that and it's it's just the idea of like I look they're not going to win a championship every year most teams won't win a championship ever, but to in my mind, from as long as I've been talking about the Sixers publicly, you have to try. That like has to be the goal, and it can't be just like, well, well, you know, maybe Evan Turner will, you know, you never know how good he's going to get. He could he could hit baseline jumpers for the rest of his career. Like it was, everyone deludes themselves into thinking that like maybe, but like to actually put the work into. With the, with the real goal of a championship to me was what made me believe in this shit. And obviously we're not there yet. Obviously it took a, you know, a ton of different paths and wrong directions a bunch of times. But like a plan in place was always what appealed to me the most and what I'll be grateful for that like the Sixers and even our dumb fuck owners like seem to give a shit about. Can and I say this too? I'm holding on to. Email is fucked up. And he doesn't mean, look, we, I have not talked to him about this. He doesn't mean how email works or doesn't work. The, okay. pr the problem with email, as, and I know you are not like an office guy kind of job. That's not really how your, your, your life operates. I am, and I'm a manager. And the problem with emails is that all email does is beget more email. So what people think is if they get an email and they need to solve a problem and they forward it to somebody else, they think their job is done. Now you solve the problem. And the, pro the issue becomes people never, it is an endless chain of emails. 
you answer an email. Why are people sending emails at eight o'clock at night? You know, who's going to fix anything at eight o'clock at night with work emails? You're just going to have to talk the next morning anyway. People use email. <laughs> this is just a personal thing. Use email to not do things. I think they 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 procrastinate. And there is an article. <laughs> It actually pissed me off, and I don't think we're going to have time to talk about it in this pod, nor do you want to. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, thanks to uh, Ricky listener Steve, who pointed this out to me. Subject line, a $433 billion Wall Street giant has a reputation problem. It's Josh Harris's job to fix it. I got that from... uh from Weber. Weber uh, sent me that. Okay. <laughs> and it was like, so, this PR campaign to rehab Josh's image is really very Well, I, I read it. It doesn't totally paint him in a great light. But one of the things that it talks about is people in his company, especially lower level people, would say something to the effect of, if Josh Harris emails you at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night and you don't respond within 10 minutes, he will email you back with a question mark. Fuck that. That is not what email is for, bro. We, we can't just spend our whole lives looking at fucking email. It's not. I mean, that's just a, that's just a shitty boss. I don't think that's email. I think I'm I think email, email is email, a medium. If, if he had if you, to call if you, you, if he, if he had, called you and left another message saying like "what the fuck," or if he texted you and said the same question mark, it's the same thing. I think. But people I, don't call. They use email as a way to be passive aggressive in that way. Sure. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Is I'm with Sam on the honestly. So it's a you think so you're reading me, into Sam's email question and wanting to fix email is wanting to fix passive aggressive <laughs> nature. There's a lot in there. Relation. I think email is perfect. I wouldn't touch it. Email is not perfect. I, perfect. I, I, I could do no a whole issues. thing on this. People one. are wrong. Email is immaculate. The <laughs> BCC, you can put emojis in there. <laughs> you can put emojis in anything. No. See? It's time for relationship advice. I keep my heart under my pillow with my teeth and other lies. I've been waiting on your halo just to shine the light. Thanks to Eliza Hardy-Jones, who gives us the music for a relationship advice from her album, Because Become. Now, Mike, you may remember we received an email from an Australian listener in April. You probably don't remember. But basically what he was saying was his best friend came out about four or five years ago as gay. Before he had come out, he had a, a girlfriend but obviously did not keep that relationship afterwards. And this guy who emailed us had started to develop a friendship with this girl and wanted to know if it was okay to date her because he thought his friend, even though gay now, may be sensitive to it. So we gave our advice and he comes back with a, uh, another email, um, also from Australia. I'm back and I'm in need of additional advice. This is a follow-up to relationship advice about my gay best friend's ex-girlfriend. I ended up confessing my feelings for her. She said she wasn't ready to date, however, that I shouldn't take that as a flat-out no. Oh my God, that's a, such an annoying answer. Anyway, I obviously respect her response and continue to be friends with her. I felt surprisingly good after she told me. I guess it was a bit of closure. Fast forward a couple months till now. My feelings have intensified and it's becoming a major distraction in my day-to-day -day life, leading to a pretty extreme mood swings and anxiety. I've come to a point where I'm finding it pretty unlikely we'll ever date. 
I feel like the only option to relieve any anxiety is to tell her that it's hard for me to be around her, and although it's selfish for me to throw away this friendship, I feel like it's best for me to stop talking to her. Doing this would ruin a great friendship for all three of us, me, my crush, and my best friend. My best friend is also struggling mentally at the moment. This won't help him at all. I guess my question is, what should I do? Meeting new people is hard for me, and I'm not sure I'll find someone like her anytime soon. Uh, I appreciate you guys a lot. I know you like to say busy spike, but you guys deserve a break, especially Mike. Dude looks tired. <laughs> you need a dog or a relaxing holiday to the Delaware beaches. Yeah. I mean, imagine during a pandemic, someone having mood swings or anxiety. I know. Hard to believe. The, must be the only one. So how do you, how do you, I, I have my thought on how this, this gentleman should handle this, but I don't, I don't know what you think. Uh, if I think if she wasn't ready to, I think she wasn't ready to date, in my mind means she's trying to let you down easy. Yeah. Um, but if you, yeah, I think it's a. I don't think you need, it needs to be a full conversation. It could be a, a gradual, uh, sort of like a, just distance yourself a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. a little distance. Maybe talk to your friend about it if you want to. Um. Everybody's anxious. <laughs> it's, it's a, we're we're living in a, uh, a crazy time, with you know with email, etc. <laughs> email doesn't help. Doesn't help. I have a lot of uh, anxiety related to email. I, I agree with you. Look, I wish everyone in the world could be super straight. When you're like, you're like, I want to date, and she's. I wish she would say, I'm just not interested in dating you. But that also would have hurt your feelings, and nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. I do think it's a human thing to do what she did in saying, hey, don't ever give up, because then that keeps you, I don't think she's being uh, malicious in this, but it keeps you engaged and around, and uh, it also keeps the relationship, the friendship sort of uneven, uh, which kind of sucks. I, I agree with you entirely. Just, I don't think you need to give her the, boy, I think we need to talk less. I think you need to start distancing yourself a little bit for your own mental health and everyone will figure it out. Don't don't be some sort of martyr and say that you need to keep your friend happy and her happy by doing something that makes you unhappy, unless that's going to a restaurant once in a while that you don't like that much or watching a movie that you're not that into. Those are fine things to do, but keeping yourself depressed and anxious for the sake of them, their happiness, which by the way, it, it probably, they're, they're going to be fine if you're not super friendly with her, if you have. So I think, I think yeah. the, the space thing is a good idea. There you go. Uh, uh, can I tell, yeah. can I tell one quick story? We were, yeah. some analysts have been, uh, phone banking for various places and some, sometimes we've been phone banking for, uh, for candidates in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, and we did it yesterday and, uh, Alyssa talked to a Ricky listener. <laughs> oh, really? How did that yeah. come up? Uh, so they were talking about the election, and he was—he said something like, uh, I, "I wasn't on the call, but he said something like, oh, the, you know, will the commercials stop after the election's over?'" And she's like, "I would guess, but I'm not in Pennsylvania." And he was like, "Then why are you calling people?" It's like, "Oh, my boyfriend's from there." Uh, and then there's something like, "Well, some, somebody said something about the Sixers, trust the process, or whatever." And Alyssa was like, "Well, do you listen to the rights of Ricky Sanchez?" And this guy, whose name is—I uh, believe his name is Antimo, so shout out Antimo. Um, Whose uh, fiance, I believe, is the in tanking to the top, 
is is the woman holding the picture, holding the uh, "In Hinky We Trust" sign ah. in, in the in the book. Um, and apparently it was just like, oh, the Ricky, which which one, <laughs> which guy, and uh, and uh, it was me. And he didn't. He said that he loves me and he loves Derek. And so I don't know where you fit into this guy's uh, worldview, but he listens to the podcast and he really likes Derek. Well, then he's paying my fucking bills. That's <laughs> honestly. <laughs> uh, but it was he's, cool. He was nice. He was not, cool. Yeah, that, that is very nice. By the so way, so if you get a call from someone, it might be me and Alyssa reminding you to vote early and in person. Yeah, you never know. You never know who it could be. You're getting that call that looks like a potential, you know, political call. You might want to pick it up. You never know who it could be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, he was, and he was like, what does Mike think about where Horford's going to go? And she's like, I, I, I'm not sure. But uh, put that vote in. And <laughs> All right, vote for Jen O'Mara. I'm out. See you later. Um, <laughs> All right, a couple of mailbag questions before we get out of here. Mailbag brought to you by Kinetic Skateboarding. Big news. Ben from Kinetic was so uh, disheartened by my criticism of his doing sales at midnight that there's going to be a very special sale coming up that's going to happen at 7 a.m. for Kinetic Skateboarding. Oh, for the olds. For the people who work. What are we talking about olds? For all the olds, everybody, get out (laughs) your walkers and... Shovel to your desktop <laughs> computer at 7 a.m. Fuck off. Uh, tons of great stuff at Kinetic. Hey, look, um, snowboarding is a socially distant activity. Kinetic is your spot for snowboard stuff. Also, if you just want, now that it's cool outside, if you just want some you know, pants and hoodies and new sneakers, Kinetic is your spot too. Kinetic skateboarding, use, use uh, promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. So this is from Garrett, and uh, Garrett is a very conscientious emailer, has emailed me several times about my food choices before in a a positive way, and heard us discussing single-use paper towels over uh, reusing uh, washable paper towels. And he said, you were wondering about the environmental impact of single-use napkins or paper paper towels versus reusable cloth napkins. So he tracked down a study from 2011 that determined the life cycle assessment of both. Here is the conclusion. The results of the study cannot be used to support general statements regarding the environmental superiority of either the product use product group single-use napkins or the product group reusable napkins. The results in the sensitivity analyses have shown that the results of comparison depends on the type of napkin product, the size of the napkin, the type of textile used in reusable napkins, and what environmental impact category is considered most important by the reader. So, that is ambiguous. What's that? That is ambiguous. It, it's pretty ambiguous because it does bring up, as I mentioned before, you're using if you're using reusable things, you have to use the water to clean it and the energy to power the washer and the dryer, who knows? So we cannot support, if you wanna use reusable napkins, it's fine, but we cannot support that it's necessarily better for the environment. This comes from Nate, basketball question. I like this one for you, Mike. Imagine the only people running for president were Brian Colangelo and Scott O'Neill. Neither of them is attached to a political party, and neither has endorsed any policies you agree or disagree with. They are running simply on the basis of their professional track record only. You have to vote for one of them. Which one do you choose? If, the, if neither of them had any policies, then it stands to reason that they wouldn't do anything. So I wouldn't vote. And under those circumstances, I would not vote. You wouldn't vote at um, all? If I had to vote, gun to my head, 
I would vote for Brian because I believe Brian is capable of being coerced based on public opinion Uh and would respond to the needs of people if they're clamoring enough, whereas Scott, I think, would only be out for himself. Although, now I love Scott and am Mormon. All right. (laughs) I would also, for the same reasoning, I would pick uh, Brian Colangelo. President Brian. President President Collars. Yep. Uh, non-basket, and it would be so easy to get under his skin. It would be very difficult to get under Scott O'Neill's skin publicly, but seeing the Brian Colangelo interviews would be entertaining. Non-basketball question. I'm curious about the process behind which RTRS sponsors get to go in which episodes. <laughs> Is there a simple... Thrilling, rota- th- thrilling question. <laughs> Is there a simple rotation or are there deeper issues at play? Do any sponsors want to be in the same episodes or by contrast, are there any sponsors that can't be in the same episodes? Wow. Does LL get certain preferential treatment? Um, any Mad Men style inside baseball you're willing to share? Uh, I got to tell I you. Inten- I intentionally do worse on uh, Cornblow episodes. Because <laughs> I, I, it's a grudge that I've been holding for a long time. And so I make it a worse episode. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm sorry, Nate. It's really just sort of a, we have a deal with so many commercials per month with each of them. And I just, I sort of rotate them, keep them even. That's about it. Uh, occasionally Big Barker and by nature will be in the same podcast, which seems funny to me, but all the last part of introduce, uh, of information, all of our categories are exclusive. So it's not, we're not going to have another realtor on the, the podcast. So we don't have to worry about having two. We and will have another realtor on the podcast if they, uh, duel. Yeah. Kasabi. <laughs> and finally an email from Mike and then a question from Nick. Email from Mike. We got two Scott O'Neill stories in the email. This one felt uh, funny and also harmless. After hearing so much about Scott O'Neill in the past few pods, I decided I'll share my experience with the beloved CEO. I won a radio contest a few years ago for two tickets to a game and the opportunity to play in a knockout. You're going to love this so much. Please don't read ahead. I won, the, I won a radio contest a few years ago for two tickets to a game and the opportunity to play in a knockout tournament on the Sixers court afterwards. Mm-hmm. This was in the deep depths of the process, and Nerlens Noel was the best player on the team at the time. The winner received a jersey and a chance to meet Nerlens. There were about 75 contestants lined up on the court after the Blazers' 30-point drubbing of the Sixers. After two rounds, Scott O'Neill, wearing a three-piece suit, asked to cut in front of me in line. I naturally said yes, not realizing who he was. The line was moving slowly, as most of the 75 contestants could barely shoot an NBA three. Scott introduced himself and told me his relation to the team. After a few more minutes, there were about 15 of us left. This is when he said to me, quote, wouldn't you hate to lose to a guy in a suit? (laughs) I, I promptly knocked him out on the next go around. I came in third place, but knocking out Scotty was worth a lot more t- a lot more than a picture with Nerlens Noel. Love the pod. Trust the process. Wow. So Scott definitely <laughs> saw this guy and was like, no way. This guy's going to fucking knock me out. <laughs> Went in front of him and then and then lost. It's his retreat. Another T-shirt done. idea, by the way. How, wait, what's the quote? Wouldn't you hate to lose to a guy in a suit? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I, I'm just surprised that he didn't say like a $3,500 suit or something. I'm yes. surprised that he didn't put the like and a Job-esque. Uh, this comes there. from uh, Nick. 
basketball question, non-basketball question, basketball question. With the rumors circling about Oladipo potentially being on the block, would you guys want to pursue him? Seems like the kind of deal Murray might covet. Roll the dice on a buy-low former star who could return to form. I imagine the trade would be Josh, Mike, 21, plus some combo of other stuff. Josh seems exactly like the kind of player Indiana would like to respectfully overpay to slightly perform in a Pacers uniform. I would uh, do that trade for Oladipo. Yeah, Josh is Josh is uh, a contract for this year, and then I believe a player option for next year, the following year for like eleven million or something. Um, it's interesting. The Oladipo market, I'm intrigued by because mm-hmm. um, it's lower than I thought I would. You would think it would be. Well, because he wasn't, so he had that one really, really good year mm-hmm. when he got to Indiana. And then the following season, he was pretty mediocre and then got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he came back this season, pretty naturally, uh, he didn't look uh, like he had as much juice to him. And so he is now, how old is he, like 28? Um, um, he came out in 2013, like the year before Joel. He is 28, yeah. yeah. Um, he he's good. Like he's got bounce to him. It, when is when he's all healed up from the injury, I think he would fit in nicely. He seems like a good guy that wants to win and play in a bigger market. Plays um, hard, all that kind of he's shit. Look, like Miami was looking at him, mm-hmm. and they were looking at each other for a while. But now it seems like they wouldn't want to trade like Tyler Hero for a guy that's older and you know potentially not going to get back to the heights that he hit before. I'm intrigued by it. I think that I agree that it is a, a t- kind of undervalued potential. You know, as far as you know, you were talking about last time, like you're going to need a another top 25 type player to put with Ben and Joel and Oladipo could kind of sneakily become that um, again uh, mm-hmm. when he because he was a couple years ago and then and hasn't been. Um, so I'd be interested in it. Uh, it could also work out really poorly and, and look and he could just look like a, you know, combo guard version of Tobias Harris. Yeah, I mean, the, the question is how much you give up. And if it goes poorly, is it like, OK, that went poorly. But or is it? Yeah. Oh, my God, look at what we gave up. Yeah, I would guess that it's Josh, Josh, Mike Scott, uh, Matisse and 21 would be my guess of what it would take. I would do that. I might. It's it wouldn't worth be the, the shot. It wouldn't be the first thing that I mm-hmm. do. It wouldn't be the first thing that I look look to do. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say dismiss it out of hand. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. And then his non basketball question from Nick. Maybe this won't be a debate at all. But I'm curious. Growing up, my mom always taught me my br- taught my brothers and me not to wear gray with khakis. No gray sweater, T-shirt, blazer, etc. My sister-in-law is befuddled by this and has told my brother it's ridiculous. Gray and khaki—he means he means khaki color—are new are both neutral and go fine together. She says. Do any of you have an opinion about gray on khaki? Um, I've worn gray with khaki. I think it I think it can look good. I think it can look weirdly clashing, um, depending on the tones and and the patterns. Um, but I think it can look sort of like sneakily elegant also. Yeah, I would add, you know, like I'm imagining khaki pants, a very light uh, in, in, in heaviness gray sweater with a white T-shirt underneath, maybe a, a V-neck gray sweater with a white T-shirt underneath. I would want to add some sort of color somewhere so you don't look like a 
ad for fall old navy clothes or something. But I think it's fine. I, it doesn't seem like a rule that you should never do. Like, yeah. And there are very few rules you should never do. Like one of them used to be, uh, w- what's the shoes rule? Never uh, send an email. What's that? <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, that's it. Daryl Morey is the president of basketball operations for the Sixers. We'll be announced still. tomorrow. Elton Brand's still here. So that's cool. Wild. We love Elton. And it seems like according to Sixers Adam, Alex Rucker is gone and Ned Cohen is staying. So, I mean, we wanted an overhaul. This is a fucking overhaul. They, they Report on the chefs, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening with the chefs? Uh, are you now a TTP? Yeah, you know Lickface. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing.